following program is a peer-to-peer -peer advice show and does not diagnose mental health conditions. If you're seeking social services, please call or text 211 or go to 211.ca. Hello, listeners around the world on radio, streaming, and podcast services. This is It's Not Therapy. I'm Leanna Kersner, and I am not a therapist, but I am your source for practical advice for everyday problems, using my top 10 sayings for checking in with your best self. This week, we're going to talk about teen mental health. Teen expert Dr. Betsy Holmberg, PhD, will be with us later to talk directly to teenagers about how their brains work. And this is a topic near and dear to my heart. Teen mental health. I started as a peer counselor as a teenager. And I absolutely believe that having a coach who understands what you're going through makes formal therapy more effective. But with teens, the sense of being understood is even more important than that. Because teenagers are in that difficult process of becoming individuals, separating from their parents who often don't want to let go of them, and figuring out who they are, what they want, and how they're going to get there. And teenagers tend to do this in the context of adult involvement that simultaneously invalidates most of what teenagers care about and makes the exact same minors an excuse for every knee-jerk emotional reaction adults have. For the love of God, will someone think of the children? We hear that a lot now, don't we? When I first decided to tackle this topic, it was based on the latest CDC Youth Risk Behavior Survey. Now, what is that? That's 17,000 youth being surveyed every few years about their mental health and experiences. And the most recent data is from 2021. And the trends have been telling us things since 2011. So don't blame the pandemic for these numbers. It's not the pandemic. These numbers have been going in the same direction for over 10 years. But since the pandemic started, the whole kids should be in school thing. Finally, adults might pay attention. Now, the good news is that risky sexual behaviors and drug use, substance use, are decreasing in teens. They're still too high, but they're going in the right direction. Violence, including sexual violence, poor mental health, and suicidal thoughts, well, they're still going up. And bullying is a major factor. But before we crunch numbers, now I love to crunch numbers, okay? But I want to state a beef I have with the focus on how adults relate to teen mental health, the metrics they use to judge it, right? Because I think this is a big part of the problem. Adults often send a bad message to teenagers in the way they talk about youth and youth mental health. Adults tend to focus on things like standardized test scores and suicide statistics and the message that sends teenagers isn't, we care about you. The way teenagers are receiving the message is, stop embarrassing us. Because it's boys have it worse because of slumping standardized test scores. No, girls have it worse because of a much higher rate of suicidal thoughts. But 
LGBTQ youth have it worse. Black youth have it worse. Indigenous youth, Asian youth. Parents, parents. All teens are struggling. All teens are struggling. Some more than others, but all teens are struggling. The teen years are defined by struggling to figure things out. Each teenager is an individual with unique needs. And if you tell one of them that they should be grateful that they don't have it worse, that doesn't do anything to help a struggling teen. Neither does saying it's just a phase. Let's talk about that whole it's just a phase thing, shall we? Let, let, let's, okay? Because we need to talk about that. Now, if you want to talk, if you want to ask a question, leave a comment, make a suggestion, reach out for some resources for you and your teen or you and a family, whatever, teenagers of all ages, go to nottherapyshow.com, nottherapyshow.com, join the mailing list, fill out the comment box, uh, or you know, maybe sponsor something for somebody. Send me a message or you can go to Not Therapy Show at Not Therapy Show on Twitter and Instagram to check out more content when I remember to do it. <laughs> now back to It's a Phase. Because I have issues with It's Just a Phase. Let's stop doing It's Just a Phase. Adolescence is a phase, yeah. But it's not just a phase. Adolescence is one of the most important phases in a person's life. Neural pathways and networks form during this phase that we have to deal with for the rest of our freaking lives. So what do you mean, adults, that it is just a phase? It's just a phase is a terrible thing to say to or about teen individuation. And yet the whole it's just a phase thing, I hear it everywhere. Kids don't know what they want, it's just a phase. This is invalidating language. It makes any teenager in your vicinity trust you less. And real talk, you're being a jerk. Now that's not the word I wanna use, but I gotta keep it clean for radio. Yes, yes you are, parents, politicians, and pundits. You are all being jerks regarding teens as groups, okay? You might be great as individuals, but when you get together, you claim to care. You're not acting like you care when you're talking over teens, when you're loudly protesting outside of schools, brawling at PTA meetings, and screaming at each other over politics. You claim it's all about, think of the children. But if any of you asked your teens what they think when you're thinking about them so very much, that's when I usually hear either teenagers don't know what they want or teenagers lie all the time or you can convince a teenager of anything. And none of that is true. You know, unless your teen is a pathological liar and then why are you complaining about it? Get that teen some help. The biggest lightning rod right now 
is the teen trans medicine issue in this regard. And this is a shining example about people are just reacting and then going, think of the children when they're only thinking about themselves. Gender identity forms between the ages of around two and six as a general rule. This used to not be controversial. I used to be able to teach this at the post-secondary level all the time and just, yeah, okay, whatever. Most kids have a stable sense of gender identity by the age of four. Four. So why do you think your 14-year-old doesn't know what their brain says their body should look like? Oh, because teenagers experiment. That's not the same as an identity. Experimentation is doing things to see if they feel right, if they match someone's innate sense of self. Trying things on to see if they fit is not training an innate sense of self. It's compare and contrasting to what's already there. Oh, but teens rebel. Yes, parents, that's a feature, not a bug. Separating from you means that teens are going to push back if you're squeezing too tight. I get that you want to keep them safe. I really do. But criticizing every single thing they do that you don't understand and therefore don't approve of makes the rebellion greater, not less. And so many parents are probably so mad at me already. But teenagers are going, yeah, bring it. Go, girl. Because then there are the parents... And I see a lot of these sorts of parents profiled in articles about the influence of jerks like Andrew Tate. These parents are checked out. They're not aware of the details of their teens' interests and activities. They think their role is to provide resources and approve and judge, not understand. And that's where you lose teenagers. I love working with teenagers. No joke. People think I, well, you know, not good crazy. They think I'm bad crazy when I say I love working with teenagers. But teenagers are amazing. And the first rule to earning a teen's trust is that you have to play partially by their rules. If they like video games, ask them why. Don't immediately lecture them on why video games are bad because pro tip, they're not. If they like mumble rap, ask them why. Ask them to tell you about their favorite artists. Don't just complain that it's noise and that you can't understand what they're saying. The TikTok sped up lyrics thing, that personally drives me nuts, but you know, I was told that's so the song doesn't get cut off in the, in the TikTok, the clip. I understand that. If a teen thinks that they're gonna immediately be met with disapproval, they're not going to confide in you because a not so secret fact about teens is that teens think adult involvement makes things worse. If you want a teen to trust you, to feel safe, they need a stable environment and they need to feel heard. You don't have to agree with what a teenager is saying and doing, but they need to know that you understand or if you don't, that you're trying to. Listening to teens goes an incredibly long way. And adults are often too busy laying down the law, showing discipline to listen.
And ever-changing rules and increasing punishments aren't stability. A team needs to know what they can do right, not just a whole bunch of things that they're getting wrong. And the thing they do right, it's got to be something other than grades. Grades are achievements, not validation as a person. Praise and reward your teen's compassion, kindness, empathy, consideration for others, stuff like that. And don't downplay their struggles. Validate when things are legitimately hard and work with them towards a solution instead of making demands. Now, that's my little prep because we're going to get to the statistics after the break with Dr. Betsy Holmberg, teen expert. Betsy's great. You're going to love her now that you're all really mad at me. Betsy's very upbeat. She'll be a soothing bomb. So hang on after the break on It's Not Therapy. I'm Leanna Kersner. I'm not a therapist. We're talking teen mental health. Back in a bit. program is a peer-to-peer advice show and does not diagnose mental health conditions. If you're seeking social services, please call or text 211 or go to 211.ca. We're back on It's Not Therapy. I'm still Leanna Kersner. I'm still not a therapist and we're still talking teen mental health. Now, I'm super stoked. Uh, the guest this episode is Doc's Dr. Betsy Holmberg, uh, PhD, here to talk to us about teen mental health. And for this interview, we're going to talk with Betsy to teens, not to the parents. One of my big things, I started as a peer counselor as a, as a teen, and one of my big things is it's so parent-focused. We're going to talk directly to teens while you're listening to this. So Betsy, thank you for coming on It's Not Therapy and sharing your time and wisdom. I am so happy to be here, Liana. We see a lot of headlines about teens in crisis, teen mental health, and then it's all the doom and gloom, not what can we do about it. So let's set the table without scaring the heck out of people because teenagers already know it's hard, right? This is, I mean, I guess for people that don't see the scope or the nuance of the problem, it's important, but teenagers don't have to be told things are tough, but just how tough are they? So teen mental health is in a bit of a crisis right now. And yes, you guys already know this, but in the recent data that came out from the CDC, they have questions about that essentially mimic what depression is and talk about suicidal ideation. And the results are stark. So 42% of our high school um, our high school teenagers uh, essentially have the symptoms of depression. And when you break it up into the subgroups, it gets even more shocking. So it's two out of three girls feel depressed. And when you get to suicide ideation, one out of three of those girls has, has thought about killing themselves. And one out of two of the LGBTQ plus population has thought about killing themselves. And the thing is, is this is this really doesn't say anything about you guys as teenagers. And this really says everything about the environment in which you're living. And one of the things that I have been really fascinated with in the last five years, kind of based on my own personal experience and my own personal struggles, is why does our brain go there 
what does it mean? And then how can I understand myself and then change what I do to make myself feel better in this world? So it's kind of a get to know you from a neurological research capacity. Mm -hmm. Now, if anybody went, what was that term LGBTQ? I looked this up. Uh, the CDC used that term because they didn't specifically ask about gender identity on the questionnaire. The the under the underlying things are are sort of universal, but they affect different populations differently. Do we know? Because it's a huge hot button when you start going girls versus boys. Yes. Right? Different adult groups start getting all up in arms. There's this whole we're failing boys movement. But then, I mean, that data about girls is shocking. Is it, in your opinion, based on what you've seen, is it manifesting differently in boys or is there a specific problem with girls right now? It is, to me, it is all based on our neurobiology and what society expects and of the different genders. Okay. So okay. Um, to, to give you guys a really like base view of how our brain is structured is it's all, it, it essentially is like a house that keeps getting renovated on. And so we have the old part of the house and then we have a newer structure and like that has better heating and, you know, than the other one. And then we have an even newer structure and mm. that is both your stress system mm. and that is your thought system. So our, we have a very like evolutionarily primal thought system, which is called our default mode network. Mm -hmm. And these are the thoughts that happen automatically to you. This was the fascinating part of the research that was an aha to me. So this default mode network just runs. And what its purpose is, is it's to scan the environment and to also monitor you in the environment to say, am I fitting in? This is what goes all the way back to our hunter gatherer days when we were in a clans and there were like 30 to 150 of us. Right. Mm -hmm. And we had to fit in or else we would get kicked out and we would die. So mm -hmm. this is literally a life or death situation. And we've spent all this time talking about running away from saber tooth tigers mm -hmm. when in reality, we need to be talking about fitting into the clan. And so this default mode network is it's it, is it's constantly telling you how you are bad in order to try to motivate you to follow clan norms. You know, it, it's like a frantic, paranoid thing that you are stuck with. So it's going to tell you that wasn't cool or you're you know, you don't look good enough or, you know, you're not you're not getting good enough grades. It's constantly going to beat you up mm -hmm. thinking that it's helping you survive. Mm -hmm. And so then we have this other thought network, which is the central executive network, which is where you focus your thoughts, where you do what you want to do. And that's and and that is what's made humans what we are today. Mm -hmm. But we all have to contend with this other basic network and live with it. And it's a really tough time when you're a teenager because you've spent your whole time in your family environment and having your tribe. And then when you're a teenager, you start looking outside of the family and you're looking to make those bonds out in the world with uh, with your peers, mm -hmm. with other people. And so suddenly the tribe gets really, really big. And suddenly we get very sensitive to the data we're getting mm -hmm. from other people and from other organizations and from our performance. And it makes the default mode go a little, you know, go really hard and it can make the experience really difficult. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great way to put it with fairly, fairly simple terms, because, I mean, that central executive network is still developing in teens, correct? It's not fully there. Absolutely. Yeah. And the default mode network is a little bit further along. Yeah. So to go back to your point on girls and, and, and signaling out different populations or the LGBTQ plus population. So if we all have this thing that's constantly telling us we're different and, and, and trying to get us to blend, if you are someone who authentically is a little different, you know, is a minority population, mm -hmm. then that is going to be triggered even more. And mm -hmm. it's going to make the experience harder. So it's nothing about that population, but it is what it about what the experience of being a minority population in our culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have a big problem up here with the indigenous populations in that way, because it's like a multiple othering. There's been that cultural destruction. There's, you know, the fact that they look different if they're in, um, you know, mixed schools. And and then there's the where do I fit? in the world. And I mean, that's what the teen brain is doing anyway, right? Who am I? Where do I fit? And that sense of fitting in is so challenging because like you said, the brain is looking for anything that's different that registers as wrong, that registers as pain. Is it, is it true that it registers like physical pain in the brain? It literally does. Yeah. So this was one of the crazy ahas is we always thought there was this blood brain barrier. And you guys are probably learning this in school, mm -hmm. how like the brain is this protected place that like doesn't have any of the issues that the rest of the body has. And actually, we're seeing that that's completely false. And mm -hmm. so when there's a stress response in your body and, you know, that causes inflammation, that causes an immune response. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, it actually creates a comparable immune response in your brain. And what happens when the brain has an immune response is that it can go overboard and it can start pruning synapses, which are the connections mm -hmm. from one neuron to another. And this can physically create depression and, mm -hmm. and other mental health symptoms. So and you, you can feel this when you're sick. Do you ever get sick? And this has mm -hmm. bugged me forever. And you're, and you start to feel really low and you start to have all these bad thoughts and, and you're, and it's just actually that you're sick and mm -hmm. you're having an immune response. It has nothing to act, do with your life and how you're doing. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, we spend all this time talking about early life experiences and we send this message that, well, you know, before the age of six or at least before the age of 10, oh, that's setting your your stuff for the rest of your life. If you had a lousy childhood, you're done. We don't look at what's going on in the teen years and a lot of foundational stuff happens. And so we've got these teenagers with all this stress, this inflammation response and in in my work, I see a lot of people, young people, and they're people, they're individuals by this age, being taught to self-invalidate and ignore their body cues. So I wonder if we can talk about that. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. stay up all night studying for tests, constantly go, 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 push yourself past your limits so you never learn how to set healthy boundaries. You know, kids are discouraged from going, I have four hours of homework tonight. This is too much. We're training teens to do the exact opposite of setting healthy boundaries. Now, is any data back me up on these anecdotal observations? 
Yes, in that, um, and yet they are slightly anecdotal themselves, but actually they're not. So there was a recent Atlantic article on why teen anxiety is on the rise, and it showed, it talked about research where the developed countries had kids that were more anxious and sadder than um, kids in the non-developed mm -hmm. country, and that author pointed to there is just so much expected of teenagers nowadays, and it's all very performance-based, Liana, you know, mm -hmm. it's you know, making the travel soccer team when you're eight years old and then you just get on that hamster wheel and and you're stuck on it or having to perform perfectly in school and having to stay up late. And all of these performance factors kind of tell the default mode. If you don't perform, you could get kicked out. Exactly. And so this constant need to perform is incredibly scary to our neurological systems. And we are not giving, you know, I feel like teens nowadays don't have any places like as you know, enough places where they can feel mm. safe because social media does the same thing. And social yeah. media activates the default mode network. It shuts down the central executive network. The more time we spend on it, you actually see these areas strengthening and weakening. Mm -hmm. um, and so it makes it even worse. It's, it's a place where you are getting judged even more. And the judge, the judging can be so cruel. And so when we look at social media from the idea of our evolutionary basis and our need to fit in, we can see why that experience is so hard for everyone. Like this is not just you guys, teens, but you guys feel it really acutely because a lot of your social world is on there and that's mm -hmm. and that's really challenging. Yeah, I mean social media does really nasty things to the whole mirror neuron process because when you see someone getting humiliated, part of your brain treats that like it's you, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. So it's not just being the target, it's seeing it's being a bystander to a you know, there's a different, there's multiple different social media pylons every day. And this is adults setting that paradigm. And what you said about the performance-based element of the teen years, that's adults doing it to teens. And it's so wrong in terms of developing a healthy identity and sense of self. So what's a better alternative? Because this is the point where by the time we get a hold of somebody, They've already got an overdeveloped default mode. You know, those yeah. executive functions are shut down because it's a constant amygdala hijack. Everything's fight or flight, freeze or, or fawn. Um, how do we start doing it right, right off the bat? What do we need to be doing with teens and what can teens do for themselves and each other? Yeah. So the first thing I would love is for teens to know about these systems mm -hmm. and to know that when you're, you know, you're in your head and you can't stop thinking or you're have or you're feeling really gutted by something you saw on social media, that that is not you. You know, this is an automatic survival system and we need to be putting it in that box and not identifying with it. Mm. When we identify with it is when we then spiral and spiral and spend more and more time in it. And that's when it can lead to really dark places. Um, so, you know, the more 
teens can know about what's going on, the better. And then the second piece is I I would love to almost kick this to the teens from a grassroots kind of movement of if, if this is what we're seeing in terms of social media, and if this is what we're seeing in terms of, you know, how these interactions make us feel like, I mean, like, can we all get off of it? You know, mm. you know, can we not rely on our regulators to do it? I would love for them to say enough. You know, we are so sick and tired of this. We are all sad. We are all anxious. And mm. we want, we, you know, we want to act different because parents, we can all, you know, say you can't have that or like not, you know, no more screen time. But when it comes from, I mean, I feel like this is kind of similar to, you know, recovery, all the recovery information, like it needs to come from the individual. Mm-hmm. And what what's so hard about teens is they're so they're so in their world and they're so, you know, trying to perform and trying to achieve and trying to be these great kids and like set themselves up for a great future that they're, they don't, they don't, they don't, they can't step back and see what's really happening. And I would Mm -hmm. love for them to, us to empower them and give them the information for them to start bringing this into their social circles and making different choices based on what we're seeing in the literature. Okay, Dr. Betsy, hang on. We got to go to a break. That's what that music's all about. More with Dr. Betsy Holmberg and how we can empower teens to make choices for themselves and understand how their brains are working. More on It's Not Therapy after the break. I'm still Leanna Kirsner. I'm still not a therapist and we're still talking teen mental health when we're back in a few minutes. The following program is a peer-to-peer advice show and does not diagnose mental health conditions. If you're seeking social services, please call or text 211 or go to 211.ca. Back at It's Not Therapy, I'm still Anna Kersner. I'm still not a therapist. We're still in the interview. And this week, it is Dr. Betsy Holmberg, PhD, talking teen mental health. And before the break, we touched on social media and how there are pitfalls to social media, but reducing or stopping social media use has to be the teenager's idea. And Betsy, I'm glad you brought this up because... Yeah, that it's a tough challenge because I've done uh, social media. I don't use the word safety because they don't want to hear it for teens, but that's the thing. They don't want to hear it. They Social media is this double-edged sword. I'm part of some wonderful Discord servers that are incredibly supported, supportive, but they're, they're curated, right? There are rules. There are elements of we don't do that here, that if you're just out in the wild west of Instagram, that's not happening. And um, one of the things I've seen hand in hand with social media is this messaging that I, if we could strip one word, one phrase from our language, it would be, don't let it bother you. Right. Yes. I hate that phrase because (laughs) by the time someone is told that it's already bothering them. And so now they've got, you know, the disapproval of somebody on top of already feeling bad. And that, I mean, that I imagine activates that default mode, right? Because then they're feeling judged on top of feeling crummy. Yes. My problem with that phrase is none of us can help feeling bothered. That's right. 
Like That's it is right. impossible. <laughs> it is part of your evolution. It is part of your hardware. You know, yeah. you are a primate. I mean, another way to look at this is that we, our brains were structured to live with 150 people max. Mm -hmm. And so in this world where, you know, there there are all the groups at school. I mean, schools are bigger than what a clan would be that a person would experience for their entire lifetime. So way back then, we knew who everyone was. We knew what they cared about. We knew what would what would push their triggers. We knew we knew the boundaries of everyone, and we interact with so many people on a more surface level nowadays that that is so anxiety provoking because we don't know where the boundaries are. We don't know what they really care about. We don't know what's going to kick us out and what's going to keep us in. And so we keep trying with this anxiety. Is this going to do it? Is this going to do it? And so, um, yeah, we need everyone to know this is not for you to control. This is just who we are as humans. And we need to acknowledge that and create other spaces. So another thing is, is the more in-person interaction we have, it offsets what's happening on mm -hmm. social media and what's happening from a performance perspective. So the more we can be together and we all know this, uh, you know, like this is talking with your girlfriends and when you're really honest and how much better you feel afterwards, mm -hmm. what that's doing is it's calming your stress system. It's making you feel accepted and, and fitting in and, and that will counteract all of these, you know, nasty effects. Mm -hmm. And, and obviously certain portions of the population are trained to do that more than others. And then you get those teen dynamics of, like you said, the, the brain has this fear of being ostracized, of being kicked out. I think teens live in a world of more rules than ever, right? And there's layers and layers and layers of rules. Now, based on your theory, that would follow that the more rules, the more chance of transgressing against a rule the more likelihood of kicked at being kicked out, the more stress, anxiety, and depression. Is that correct? That is so true. Right. And in addition to the rules, there's more permanence to everything they do. Mm. And this is so hard for you guys. And like, I, my hat is off to you and being a teen right now, because, you know, we used to be able to make a mistake, do a transgression, but the only wow. people that saw were the four people that were there. And then, and then it disappeared, you know, life moved on and with everything being recorded and videotaped and put up, you mm. know, we, that stuff lives forever. And that, you know, that just creates so much stress. Yeah. I used to work in music programming. I started professionally in television when I was 19 years old. So I was still a teenager. So this hits close <laughs> to home. And we'd see these, especially the pop princesses of, of the time, you know, Christina Aguilera, Avril Lavigne, Britney Spears, people like that. There'd be a three-year arc. They'd come in you know, youthful, energetic, really excited to be there. And within two to three years, they'd be slumped in a chair, zombies, same mm -hmm. young lady. And, and the only person that didn't happen with that I saw was Britney Spears. And we saw what happened with Britney. This is a mm -hmm. universal thing that that mistakes live on forever. It's so catastrophic. And, and, you know, we talk about catastrophic thinking a lot and we make it the problem of the individual, but mm -hmm. the catastrophes are real with these mass public shamings. And maybe you have some advice on this because I don't know what to do. I can't tell a young person, 
oh, it'll be okay. Because if they get shamed by millions of people, that is not okay. That is terrible. That is legitimately a bad thing. And it is. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And the thing is, is think about it. Like we're used to 150 people, yeah. millions of people. I mean, our systems are just not designed for this. And so mm -hmm. one of the things that has helped me and the people I work with is, is understanding where the shaming is coming from. So if social media activates the default mode network and it mm -hmm. shuts down the central executive network, which is who you are, PS, this default mode network, uh, psychologists make everything sound really sophisticated. They're yeah. like, this is the seat of your moral awareness. Well, what is moral awareness? It's right or wrong. It's black or white thinking. Right. So this is where we get dumber and we start, you know, where, where we get more movement based, you yeah. know, and that's what you're seeing in our population is these separating movements, uh, you know, and, and where people won't listen to facts because facts don't happen in the default mode network. Yep. All yep. that happens is following. And so this is all to say the people that are doing the shaming are in their default mode networks. Mm. And if that's what they're saying to you, what they're going on in their brains that they're saying to themselves is 10 times worse. Mm -hmm. And this is not to say that this yeah. is not affecting you. It's going to hit you hard. It's going to hit you automatically. But it's to say like that it's just to have that awareness of, of this is the nasty crap that their default modes is producing, mm. but that's not exact. That's not reality either. And it, it's a hard one because, you know, you don't want to say that it's not real, that the shaming is happening. It is 100% real. Mm -hmm. Your reaction is 100% real, but there's also this place of, of, of like no one is really thinking in those moments no one is really there everyone is just being really reactive and mm. like and like life will move on like to like it, you this will end like it will go away in time because time does you know the next shiny thing happens and yeah. that's they the next shaming happens and then you get to disappear and so so we can it's just a matter of surviving it. I feel like that's the big word. It's just survival, just survive it, you know? Yeah, other, you know, other YouTubers I talk to who get hit with this stuff, I always make sure to reach out and I always say, look, these things have a half-life of 72 hours. Stay off social media for that 72 hours. Don't look ever, just scroll through everything and it will gradually decline after that. And I say, this is somebody who's been through it again and again and again. <laughs> and at the, I think I have an overdeveloped, I don't know if it's possible to have an overdeveloped um, central executive uh, <laughs> network, but I, whenever this happens to me, I actually stop and go, okay, what do I know? What do I don't know? You know, what am I assuming? What can I control? And it it's like you have to become hyper conscious to like throw a big weighted blanket over that you know default network because it it just goes crazy and it is going to go crazy and no matter what you do as long as you're exposing yourself to the stimulus it it gets stimulated like you said there's no way to prevent that process and i think a lot of adults right now are going why are you just talking to teenagers right now i need to know this because that's the other thing that drives me crazy about this whole issue, teenagers are watching what adults do and adults are succumbing to that. You know, you touched on it when you said it's, it's action 
oriented, right? It's do something thinking. And teenagers are watching adults and adults are setting a really bad example for young people figuring out who they are. So now what can we do for both ourselves? Because this is the chicken and the egg problem, right? Our, our lizard brain, as I call it, is going bananas. It's very hard to get those cognitive functions engaging when you're out of practice with that. So what's some baby steps that people can do today to start this process? Totally. So, so what I, so one thing to do, I call it move the dog. And this okay. goes back to wolf packs and in a wolf pack, there's an alpha and the alpha, when everyone's at rest, the alpha will walk into other wolves space and that wolf has to move. And if the wolf doesn't move, then that essentially contests the alpha's leadership. The two of them duke it out. And then whoever wins becomes the new alpha. Well, What's happened in our society, because we have come from a place forever of yeah. that all of our thoughts are from us and all of our thoughts are come from the same places, you know, Einstein created the theory of relativity. So we have honored and respected everything that's going on in our brain. And there is a place to say, not just, you know, I, I never really was able to connect with the whole, oh, like, you know, don't connect with your thoughts, meditate, just let, let them mm. go. That never worked for me because I thought, but those thoughts are me. That's who I am. And I can't, I'm not going to divorce myself from who I am, but now seeing the neuroscience, seeing how the brain works, seeing these thoughts are automatic and they're like a stress system. It's mm -hmm. to say you, your default mode thinks it's the alpha and it thinks it can just walk wherever it wants to walk. And it's time for you to become the alpha and to say, stop. And how we do this is it's bizarrely stupidly simple mm -hmm. it's the second you focus on something else whether it is the color of the sky or a math problem you're working on or even just the conversation you're having with the person in front of you mm -hmm. when you focus on something that's activating the central executive network and it's shutting down the default mode network mm -hmm. these are like a light switch they're either on or they're off and they and and it's one or the other so the more we direct our attention the better off we're going to be. So I like to think of my default mode. I, you know, it's often good to use like symbols so it can help mm. us with it. I think of my default mode as the real housewives of me. And it's like all this drama and it's like a television set that I can be like, oh, like the television's on, I need to shut it off. And mm -hmm. so we can use that. Another one that works really well for my clients is the idea of you are the CEO of yourself. Mm -hmm. And you have some kick-ass employees, like your eyeballs are amazing. They help you figure out where you are. Hearing is awesome, you know, taste fantastic. But you have this really crappy employee that sits in your office and it whines and complains all day long about office drama and how it never gets any respect and it's underappreciated. And it's actually up to you to say, you know what, that employee, you need to go back to your cubicle and I don't want to listen to this anymore. I have work to do. Mm -hmm. And it's to, you know, it's to get it. So the more we can focus on things that we care about and the more we can recognize when this happens, and this is labeling, you know, mm -hmm. say, oh, there it is. There's yeah. my default mode. There's my tribal brain. Yeah. The more we can label it and identify it and then move to something else. Yeah. The, the more we strengthen the central executive network, we weaken the default mode network. And the more we have then turned ourselves away from depression, away from anxiety, away from all those negative feelings, you know, it's, it's a muscle yeah. and it can be built. 
Yeah, I I use the metaphor of uh, superheroes and their their weakness. So like super Superman and Kryptonite. Mm -hmm. So Kryptonite's your default mode. Superman's <laughs> your your central executive. It it and every person has a different name for it. And naming things is powerful because it's control, right? It is. Yeah, the minute you're engaging with a metaphor, you're you're doing well. Higher brain function has gone out of. Uh, out of vogue as a terminology, but it is you're you're um, you're you're getting in the driver's seat that you know executive boardroom chair in your brain, which is where the term comes from. Doctor Betsy, thank you so much for coming on and talking. Maybe we'll have you back on again because this is a huge topic. The more you I talk, the bigger I realize this is. I know. I feel like we're just getting started. <laughs> yeah, we are, and and that that's the the glory of short firm stuff, but Betsy Holmberg, PhD, everybody, you can check her out on, Be I believe, BetsyHolmberg.com. Yeah, that's correct. Yep. Yeah. And all your links to articles and information and the studies that I got to read are on there. Thank you so much for having me, Leon. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Dr. Betsy. That was great. When we come back in the final minutes of our show, this time we're going to look at additional data from the Trevor Project that has just dropped. I'm still digesting it as I look at it right now. But yeah, we're going to put the T back in LGBTQ in terms of teen issues when we come back on It's Not Therapy. Stay tuned. The following program is a peer-to-peer -peer advice show and does not diagnose mental health conditions. If you're seeking social services, please call or text 211 or go to 211.ca. We're back on It's Not Therapy. I'm still Leanna Kurzer. I'm still not a therapist. And we have three minutes left to end our episode on teen mental health. And Dr. Betsy Holmberg and I were talking based on CDC data, the uh, the official government stuff, but the Trevor Project, which is a, a nonprofit serving LGBTQ youth. Uh, you may recognize it from Daniel Radcliffe's involvement in it, Daniel Radcliffe of Harry Potter fame. Uh, but they released their, their survey for 2023, the U.S. National Survey on the Mental Health of LGBTQ Young People. And it's not the same metrics as the CDC, but it gives us that T that the CDC didn't have. And what we found about suicide, um, suicidal thoughts in trans youth, they're, they're as high and possibly higher than you might think compared to 25% of cisgender uh, young men, 31% cisgender young women, 48% of transgender women youth surveyed, and 56%, 56% of transgender men surveyed had considered suicide in the past year, 48% non-binary or genderqueer, 44% questioning. And the interesting thing as well is that this is fairly stable from region to region across the U.S. So the national conversation is having an impact on young people. No surprise there, of course. Uh, LGBTQ young people who are Native, Indigenous, Middle Eastern, North American, Hispanic, or Latin, or or black or African-American, as they say down there, or mixed race, obviously have higher rates than 
whites or Asian American Pacific Islanders? So food for thought. Um, but again, treat every teen like the special, unique individual that they are. That's the best way to tackle it. And let them be part of the solution. Listen to them. Listen to their suggestions. Listen to what they want. Listen to what they don't want. Because if you don't, they're going to try to do it without you. And none of us want that. So if you want assistance, if you want further guidance, go to nottherapyshow.com and fill out the contact form. Send me a message. And I'll try to put you in touch with some, some services or resources that can help. For now, that's it for the show. I'm Leanna Kersner. I am not a therapist, but I'm going to remind you, your crazy is only a problem if it's hurting you at any age.